0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for your daily LSU baseball update with Musso at the Box. Presented by New Orleans Flooring. Two locations, Metairie and Prairieville. Or go to NOLAFlooring.com. Now, Matt Musso. And welcome in to another edition of Musso at the Box Game Day for the top-ranked Tigers. They host Nichols, first of two games this season versus the Nichols-Colonels. Tonight, 6.30 p.m., a first pitch at Alec Box Stadium, Skip Burtman Field. Uh, actually kind of excited to dive into this game a little bit tonight. Nichols comes in uh, pretty hot, leading the Southland Conference after two weekends of league play and uh, boasting some pretty... Pretty impressive numbers, both at the plate and on the mound. So, LSU's going to to play well to win tonight. And, of course, there's plenty of things we're looking for from the Tigers. And I think most of them, if not all of them, honestly, are on the mound tonight. Going into another massive SEC weekend series, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. This time on the road versus sixth-ranked South Carolina. So, we'll go through LSU Nichols. We'll talk some individuals as well for LSU. Told y'all heading into the Tennessee series that coming out of it, we might have to have a very real conversation about Dylan Cruz. And, well, today we get to have that very real conversation about Dylan Cruz and some records that he is chasing now that we have crossed the halfway point in the regular season here of college baseball. Paul Skeens collected yet another honor, so we'll throw a bouquet at him. And, of course, we have our SEC week, our SEC week recap I'm not going to be too in-depth today. Nothing really mind-blowing or really that noteworthy coming out of uh coming out of this past week in the league, but we'll run through some of the results as we normally do here on a Tuesday. First though, I'll remind you about New Orleans flooring. They bring you moose with the box every single day here throughout the baseball season, two locations, the Originals in Metairie. The newest location is off of Airline Highway in Prairieville, that's where you'll find Terrell. That's where you'll find Big Sean. We encourage you to get in there and deal with their friendly sales team. They can help you with anything that you need. It's where the pros go. Contractors, this is where they go to buy. Why? The inventory's on-site. Over a million square feet of it on-site in their warehouse. Because of that, it saves you both time and money. That's why the pros go. Money? Yes, money. Sometimes 30 to 40% on flooring because it's all there on-site. Next day delivery available, free in-home estimates. They handle it all for you at New Orleans Flooring. Two locations, Metairie and now in Prairieville, or go to nolaflooring.com. Tell them you heard it right here on Musso at the Box. All right, let's start with tonight's game. LSU, number one in the country yet again. They welcome in Nichols. Series history for you here. LSU leads the all-time series 58-24. Latest meeting was last year, a 10-6 victory over Nichols. In Baton Rouge, LSU has won 31 of the past 34. This is a game that is typically tightly contested, typically can be close. Nichols is a very good program. They play in a very good baseball league in the Southland, and this year is no different. The Colonels come in to tonight, 17-13 and 13 overall. The 17 overall wins is the second most in the Southland Conference. They come in tied atop the league at four and two, winning their first two weekends originally over McNeese, who on paper might be the best team in the Southland. Nichols went on the road, took two of three there, and then went on the road again last week and took two of three from Lamar. We talked a lot about Lamar when LSU matched up against them early in the season. You know how talented that team is. So really the two teams that might be the best in the Southland conference. Nichols has taken two of three from both of those on the road. This is a formidable opponent, and as I said right off the jump, LSU will have to play well to win tonight. Continuing our overview of the Colonels before we get into a few individuals, they're coming in hitting two eighty one as a club, 23 home runs on the season, so in 30 games, they're not going to overpower you. It's not just you know, a murderer's row lineup from a power standpoint, but... They do have some really nice averages throughout. They like to run the bases. 39 steals so far out of 50 attempts. They come in averaging 6.1 runs per game. On the mound for the Colonels, they come in with a team ERA of 4.28. That's in 271 innings pitched on the season. Strikeout number has been really solid for them. 260 on the year. Now, the walks... Those can get out of control a little bit, 115, so the whip is higher than you would like if you are Nichols coming in. That is definitely something to watch as LSU's lineup this year has proven to be very patient and run pitch counts up, draw a lot of walks, and create offense that way. The opponent hits just 259 off of the Nichols. Colonels in the field, more than solid, 975 uh, is the fielding percentage for Nichols. That is... Uh, on the higher end of what you will see normally from the midweek opponents that come in to the box. So when the ball's put in play, Nichols normally scoops it up and makes the out. Let's get into a few individuals here and then we'll get to a probable pitcher that LSU could be facing to start this game uh, for Nichols. Offensively, Edgar Alvarez. That is the leading hitter for Nichols. 341 on the season. He is tied for the team lead in homers with four, and to go along with the batting average, is the outright team leader in doubles, RBI, and slugging percentage. So that's the guy, if you're LSU, you put the big, bold circle around as the one who absolutely cannot beat you tonight if the game is tight late between the Tigers and the Colonels. Again, that's Edgar Alvarez. Zane Washington got a... Got to highlight him as well. A 328 average, second on the club, nine for nine this season in stolen bases is Zane Washington. He's a grad student uh, for Nichols, has spent his whole career down in Thibodeau. So everyone should be pretty familiar with him. There are familiar names uh, on this team. Another one is Parker Cato. Parker Caddo hitting 299, a shade below 300, second on the team in RBI. Second on the team in stolen bases, seven for nine. So those are just a few guys to keep an eye out for if you're LSU uh, going up against this Nichols offense on the mound out of the bullpen. Their best relievers are Cade Evans, who started his career at Auburn back in 2018, took the JUCO route and has since found his way to Nichols. Righty out of the pen, second tied for second on the team with appearances, with thirteen, a two one eight ERA. Uh, Not an overpowering guy, just 12 strikeouts and 20 and two-thirds innings pitched, but has more than gotten the job done when called upon. Nico Saltafamaggio, which is the best name on this Nichols team, he leads with 14 appearances N E R A ERA, just a shade under three. Six-foot righty, a little bit more of a power guy if you're comparing him to Cade Evans. 25 strikeouts and 27 and two-thirds innings for Salter from Maggio. Chase Gearing is another right handed arm out of the pen 13 appearances for Nichols ERA shade under 4-4 is the power strikeout guy 30 punch outs in 24 and two thirds innings those three are really the big horses out of the pen they have a couple other guys with double digit appearances on the season but the numbers just have not translated as well um as they have necessarily for Cade Evans, Salter Fromaggio, or Chase Gearing. Uh, one more guy, he's just short of double-digit peer- appearances. It's Gavin Gailey. and his nine appearances, he has an ERA of 1.64, but he's really kind of just a, an inning or so per outing guy. They don't really extend him very much. Out of the nine appearances, 11 innings pitched. So uh, definitely somebody you could see tonight, one of their better arms. But the other three we kind of really harped on, show more of an ability to extend uh maybe more than Gavin Gailey who's uh ah, go get us an inning here. We need you to, you know, bridge us to the end of the game or, or something like that. And and out here and out there. Uh that really seems to be who that guy is. Uh he is another six foot right-handed pitcher, red shirt sophomore for Nichols. All right. Who might LSU see on the mound to start? Well, when we don't know, it's not officially announced. We kind of have to Look and figure it out ourselves. Normally look who started the most midweek games, who started the last midweek game, have they pitched since, things of things of that nature. Um, this one was a little easier, I feel like. Michael Quaveto is who I would probably lean towards Nichols running out there to start this ballgame. Seven appearances on the year, four of them are starts. All four of them are in the midweek. He has started their last two midweek games. Once he started last week, He did not pitch this weekend against Lamar. He is also a left-handed arm. And if we know one thing, these teams come in. They like to throw these lefties against LSU. I don't think it's really worked out all that well this year. But Nichols as well, specifically, has really shown that formula throughout the years i mean we all remember tyler terrio a couple years ago in the covid year who by the way is their friday night guy now uh who handcuffed lsu for about six innings and nichols ended up winning that baseball game and he started again against them the next year so it's um it's something that they've gone to i like it to be uh Quevedo tonight for nichols again Five left-hander one to know on the year in four starts a 4.34 earned on average, 18 and two-thirds innings pitched, walked seven, struck out 15. The hits have been more of the problem than anything for him. A 292 opponent's batting average against. If by some chance it is not him, it's going to be somebody who is probably making their second or third start on, on the season. He, he's really been the guy in the midweek for them. I would assume that continues. So if you're LSU, facing off against him, we told you about the opponent's batting average against there at 292. The walk number, low. Seven walks and over 18 innings pitched, that's that's low. So he's in the zone. I would expect LSU to maybe be even a tad bit more aggressive tonight than normally they would be in a situation like this. We've talked about them running pitch counts up and things of that nature. Uh, it seems like a guy like Michael Quevedo is going to be in the zone for LSU, I'm sure many are wondering who's going to get the ball tonight to start. I'm more concerned with two things when I look at LSU pitching tonight. Number one, I think the lineup they're facing is is a a good challenge. Coming in hitting 281 Nickel. I mean, that, this is going to be a very good challenge for LSU staff. But they they need a good outing. Like after after what happened Saturday in game number three where not much went right on the mound really outside of the middle innings for Cooper and then the end of the game with Collins and Gidry, they need, they need a nice bounce back. Now, I'm not saying you're going to see Riley Cooper tonight. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, you won't see Riley Cooper 90 through 92 pitches. That guy's not pitching tonight. I'm interested really in two things, though. Number one, Thatcher Hurd. Jay said after the game Saturday, Hurd was going to pitch in some capacity Tuesday night. I can tell you I would like it to be a start. Like I that's my preference. It's what I would do is I would start him in this game because that is his role on this team at some point, hopefully, is a starting pitcher. And when he's out there, I feel like I don't even have to say really what you what I'm looking for. I feel like you all know. I want him to throw strikes and a lot of them. And quality strikes. But even more than that, get ahead in the count. Get ahead in the count. It's the same thing we talked about with Christian Little when he got the start last week against Grambling. I don't really care about the hits he gives up. I don't really care about runs. I I want to see strikes, and I want to see Thatcher Hurd ahead in the count consistently. And if he does that, you're going to love the way the outing turns out. Because the stuff is so good. He just has to get ahead. And stay ahead. Throw a lot of strikes. That's all I want to see. It's all I want to see. I don't care how long he pitches. I, I don't care. I want to see him get ahead. Pound the zone. Throw strikes. And control this Nichols lineup. Whenever he's in the game. Whenever he's in the game. Starting. Closing. In the middle. I don't care. That's what I want to see. Now. Second to Thatcher Heard in this game, I want to see if there's anything we can, we can learn from the way LSU uses their staff tonight for how they may use, how they may go about starting the game on Saturday. Does that make sense? I mean, look, honestly, the easiest way to do this Saturday, the easiest way, it might not be the best way for the team, it might not be the best way uh, for victory, but the easiest way to do this next Saturday is to start Riley Cooper. He threw five and two-thirds innings last Saturday. You extended him. He got to 92 pitches. He'd be on a normal week of rest. That's the easiest way. I don't really love him as a starting pitcher, but he hasn't been great out of the bullpen either. Maybe he can be better for you as a starter. You're not going to see him tonight anyway. I'm more interested in what they do with Christian Little because I think Christian Little is the other telltale sign potentially for Saturday that you could find out tonight. And maybe I'm thinking a little too deep on this. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little too much. But I think we obviously see him pitch tonight, and I think his workload that he gets and obviously the results that he gets could tell you maybe a little bit what they're thinking for him this weekend. Does that make sense? Like if he goes out there, let's say he gets the ball to start. He goes, throws three innings and 50-some-odd pitches, they are looking maybe for him out of the bullpen again this weekend, not in a starting role. If he goes out there in relief and throws one inning and, you know, 15 pitches, well, he's absolutely a candidate, potentially, to start the game on Saturday. Again, maybe I'm thinking way too deep on this and getting ahead of myself way too much, but... I want to see if there's any type of correlation there with how they use the staff tonight and what they could be thinking down the road for a start on Sunday, excuse me, on Saturday, game three. And that absolutely applies to Thatcher Hurd as well, mind you. Like That does. If Hurd goes out there and is very good and is efficient and doesn't throw a lot of pitches and they like him a lot in a starting role... You could maybe even see that. I wouldn't recommend continuing to run him out against SEC competition right now. I'd let him get right. But I think what I'm talking about applies to him very much as well. Lineup-wise for LSU quickly tonight. Um, I mean, I think the only real change I'm, I'm looking for, I assume you're going to have a lefty on the mound. What does that do? Maybe they go a little righty-heavy tonight, potentially. Um I would expect to see Alex Milazzo get the start behind the plate. That's just something they've done an awful lot uh, in the midweek. Right now, they've given Brady Neal those nights off and let Milazzo have that start and then normally bring in Hayden Travinsky, um, yeah, as the late-inning guy uh, at that position there, uh, especially if the game is out of hand. So, I mean, I, I would think that. Um, I'm curious to see if Cade Beloso's in there. I kind of expect him to be at this point. Uh, even though it wasn't the strongest weekend for him against Tennessee, Jay after the game on Saturday said he's he's liked what Cade Beloso has given them as a veteran at bat. Was, uh, I think he called it as some professional at bats behind Cruz and White and, and Morgan and those guys. So um, I, I think you still see him in there. We'll see. Uh, I'm not really that interested in the lineup construction tonight. I, I'll be brutally honest because um, I like the lineup you sent out there on Saturday. A lot. You scored seven runs on 15 hits. I wouldn't mind seeing that group uh, again either. But, you know, there's certain things they've done in the midweek that I expect again, namely Alex Milazzo uh, getting the start. So, LSU will go for win number 25 tonight when they host the Nichols-Colonels. We'll have a full recap of that game for you tomorrow here on Musso at the Box. Let's shift gears a little bit. And let's talk yet another National Player of the Week honor for Paul Skeens his fifth National Player of the Week recognition from Collegiate Baseball newspaper. Also, February 20th, March 6th, March 20th, March 27th, and now April the 3rd. That are, Those are the five. Skeens has been awesome. It comes off of the seven-inning uh, outing, just one run, one walk, and 12 punch-outs against Tennessee. Out-dueling, Chase Dolander on the national stage, in front of 13,000, in front of all the scouts that were there, it was a great night for Paul Skeens. And it's the expectation at this point with him that nobody's going to be able to hit him and nobody's going to be able to pull up the runs. Maybe he goes out there and has a bad night one night. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Jay Johnson on his radio show uh, last night remarked that throughout the fall, throughout the spring, anytime Paul Skeens pitched, it was 13 different weeks, LSU managed to score more than one run off of him in an inning just one time. Uh, That's LSU's lineup. It's statistically the best in the country. Uh, LSU leads the nation in a couple different offensive categories, including batting average. Um, And they couldn't really break through on him. He's just in a zone. He continues to get better each time out there, it feels like, as evidenced by five National Player of the Week honors from one publication. That's massive. He leads the country with 83 strikeouts. Uh, the opponent's batting average has been fantastic. He's j- double-digit Ks in, in all at seven out. I mean, he's he's been awesome. Um, and he's on pace right now to potentially break LSU's single-season strikeout record depending on how long the Tigers uh, play throughout the year. Uh, and, and they have a chance to play deep, deep into June. And if they do that, he's going to have a great chance to pass Ben McDonald. For the single-season strikeout record at LSU, so it's—I mean—it's been a—it's uh, been an awesome start to the first half of the season for Paul Skeens. Congratulations to him on uh, yet another National Player of the Week honor, and something tells me it probably won't be his last. And speaking of breaking records, let's talk about Dylan Cruz. Told you last Monday, last Monday when we were recapping the Arkansas series, I told you I was not ready to have the conversation yet. But I wanted to plant the seeds because I wanted to get to the halfway point. And the halfway point would have been after Tennessee. And it was a great time to do it because from a stuff standpoint, top to bottom on staff, Tennessee was the best she was going to see all year. And Dylan Cruz entered that series hitting 542 after the night he had against Grambling on Tuesday. Well, now you come out of that series, 28 games, halfway point, and Dylan Cruz is hitting 543 on the year. And y'all, it's time to have the conversation. Can Dylan Cruz, or not can, will Dylan Cruz hit 500 this season? He's got another tough test this weekend against South Carolina. They've got some really nice arm. But I'm ready to say, for the regular season? Yes. I think he will. I think Dylan Cruz will finish the regular season at or above 500. He's already halfway there and he's at 543. And if you look at LSU's schedule coming up, they go through South Carolina here. That's on the road, it's tough. Kentucky's into the top 10 now, but their schedule's about to really get to, we're about to find out about them as well. And South Carolina for that matter too. And after that, LSU's schedule lightens up. You face a lot of teams that he should be able to hit. Teams that are near the bottom of the league in pitching, like Ole Miss, like Mississippi State, like Auburn, like Georgia, and he should have big weekends against all of them. The key is really staying at or above 500 until you can get to that stretch. There's another couple reasons I I, I like it too for him this year. Uh, one of them kind of goes both ways. It kind of helps and hurts, and that's the walk total. So the walk total at, at 29 is is awesome. I mean, that's elite. What's even more impressive is it, it's opposing 13 strikeouts. But I mean, a walk doesn't count as an official at bat. 29 walks in 28 games. He's averaging a little bit better than a walk per game. That's a, that's a plate appearance that doesn't affect his average. So it helps in that regard. It also hurts because it's not an official at bat. So it doesn't necessarily give you the quantity there where it still puts him in a spot where when he gets out, the average falls multiple points, if that makes sense. But more so, I think it helps him because it's at least one plate appearance every game that does not impact his average. So it's allowing it to stay there. The other thing is, he's hitting for average. The the power numbers aren't, I mean, they're not bad. He's slugging 947. Like, he's he's a freak still there. But I think if you would have told me halfway through the season, Dylan Cruz wouldn't be at double-digit homers, I'd have laughed at you. He's right on the cusp. I mean, he's at nine. But with the strikeouts down, you're seeing, obviously, he's hitting for a lot more average. But Dylan's, he's not ever trying to do too much. He's more than happy to just take the single through the infield, right? Of his 51 hits, 31 of them are singles. So I do. I'll go on record right now through the regular season saying, yes, I think Dylan Cruz is going to hit 500. Now, or better, can he carry it through the postseason? If he's there at the end of the regular season, yes, he can. I yes now everyone goes through a slump so i'm not saying he won't fall off at some point but it just kind of depends on where it is and how many bats he has at that point and how far the average drops given each the more interesting one is dave magnigan's 525 sec record that has stood for 40 years and while he's pacing ahead of that right now it's not so far ahead where i think you're totally comfortable to say he's going to do that he has in order to do that he's got to stay on this pace that he's on through however deep LSU plays in a June okay so I'm not I'm not ready to say he's going to do that but he can so the difference there is will Dylan Cruz hit 500 through the regular season I say yes and if he does that he's probably going to do it for the entire year the other end of the question, or the second question regarding is, can he break Dave Magnagan's record of 525 in a single season? The answer is, yes, he can. Will he? I'm not. I'm not totally ready to say that, and I don't know if I ever will be, but I'm ready to keep an eye on it for sure. Halfway through the regular season, it's time to start really looking at that The rest of the way as as a possibility, not a certainty, but a possibility. He could be on the verge of some pretty awesome history. He's already carried it through half the season and it's time to officially take notice and talk about it, in my opinion. All right, we're going to get to the SEC recap here momentarily, but let me remind you one more time about New Orleans. Flooring two locations, the original and Metairie, the newest off of Airline Highway in Prairieville, over a million square feet of product in house. They're offering great discounts. Look, if you missed if you missed the tax free that they offered all throughout the month month of March, it's okay. There's other great discounts just for showing up and the product being in house, you save 30, 40% on flooring at New Orleans Flooring. It's the only place you should go. It's your one-stop shop. It's where the pros buy. Why would you go anywhere else? Financing options, those are available. 12 months, same as cash on select merchandise. They're trying to move this, this inventory because they want to expand. They're looking to expand the warehouse, expand the showroom. It's New Orleans Flooring. Two locations, Metairie and now in Prairieville or go to nolaflooring.com. Proud to bring you Moose at the box every single day. All right, SEC recap. Um, Man, it was kind of a dull week in the league. There were no upsets. Guys, I mean, there there were there were no upsets. Um, South Carolina went on the road, took two of three from Mississippi State. That's LSU's next opponent, of course, the Gamecocks. The storyline there is Mississippi State finally got off the snide. They snapped their 18-game conference losing streak. Did it in emphatic fashion. Knocked off South Carolina's best pitcher, actually Noah Hall, and run ruled the Gamecocks 13 to three. So that was State's first win on Friday on a. Um, this season in the conference with South Carolina's first loss, but the Gamecocks came back and just dusted them, uh, pulled away late, and beat them 14-5 to five the next day. So, you know, status quo there. Um, you know, LSU took two of three from Tennessee. Vanderbilt swept Georgia. Vanderbilt is a juggernaut right now. They're playing awesome. Um, they have not really had to play the top of the league yet. That's coming. I expect them to come back to the pack a little bit, but it still have a lot of success. Right now, I really look at Vanderbilt as probably the best team in the SEC East um I think I, I'll take them over Florida right now it's a three-headed monster in the rotation uh, which is something Florida doesn't have as consistently as Vanderbilt and the offense is just in Fuego right now for uh for the doors I think maybe one thing I wonder is when they do hit some stiffer competition in the SEC. Does the offense come back to the pack a little bit and maybe resemble what we saw in the non-conference? Maybe not to that scale because they were bad. Y'all, you know, They were bad in the non-conference offensively or the pre-conference, I should say. But does it come back a little bit more towards the mean to that? Where are they? I don't think they're this elite offensively. I don't think they're as bad as they were pre-conference. They're somewhere in the middle. Is it enough for them to sustain uh, the pace that they're on right now? Probably not. So I expect them to come back a little bit um Kentucky is still rolling through. Uh the Wildcats are now in the top 10. They swept Missouri. Missouri that's not overly surprising. Missouri is in the bottom of the league, y'all. Like I know this the sweep of Tennessee raised a bunch of eyebrows. It they've had a lot of pitching injuries that have really hampered them since then. Uh they're just kind of back to being Mizzou. One of the other maybe surprising, not maybe, one of the other surprising um Outcomes this weekend was Auburn beating Florida 10-1 to on Friday night. Uh, just taking it to Brandon Sprott and that crew. That was surprising. Friday night, you had a couple, uh, three of those. Uh, South Carolina losing to State like they did. Florida losing to Auburn. Florida came back, beat them up pretty good game two. Auburn had a lead in game three and looked primed to actually upset the Gators and take that series. And then Florida just pulled away and won it 17-8 to and ends up taking the weekend. So, I mean, Florida still chugging along. They've got two losses in conference play. They've uh, they they've been really good so far uh, through the first three weekends. Uh, Ole Miss in the battle of stink lost a series to Texas AM. and It was tightly competitive because you just had two very bad baseball teams playing each other. Aggies got the series victory on a walk off homer by Ryan Targoc, uh on Sunday to clinch that one uh, with a five to four victory and bounce back after getting swept in Knoxville. Um, Ole Miss, y'all, they are. Um, not great. The Rebels are now 1-8 uh, now and eight in conference play uh, at the bottom of the West with uh, with Mississippi State. The last two national champions still remain in the cellar of the SEC and the SEC West. And uh, Arkansas, after getting absolutely routed on Friday night by Alabama 12-1. Alabama had 20, 22 hits in that ballgame. Arkansas had three. It was total domination. And after that, Arkansas won a pair of one-run games, took that series. So, Alabama... Wow, man, they made a lot of hay early. Uh, they look like kind of the same Alabama. They're losing close games. Uh, sure, they're right there, but they don't know how to get over the hump. And it, it looks like it could be another long season for Coach Bohannon and uh, and the Crimson Tide now that they are in to conference play. So, look, guys, really kind of an uneventful weekend. I don't think we really learned that much um, about anybody. Yet, uh, I, you're not even to the halfway point yet. It's kind of what we talked about with the standings. Don't even look at them yet. It's it's Vanderbilt's at nine and zero. I think they're going to come back to the pack a little bit. They still have to play Florida. They still have to play Tennessee. Like they they still have to play South Carolina. They've got tough series remaining. Everything is still in front of everybody right now in the Southeastern Conference. It's a deep league from an RPI standpoint, but. Georgia is not good. Mississippi State is not good. Ole Miss, I don't think they're very good. Uh, Now, again, State and Ole Miss have had pitching issues, but I don't think they're very good. Um, Auburn, I don't think it's very good. So it's a deep league. You're not going to just sweep everybody, but uh, from an RPI standpoint, I think it's deep. I think you have clear tiers still in this league of the top and the bottom of the league. So, uh, and if we're being honest, Schedules are either front loaded or back loaded. You haven't really seen many teams with a uh, kind of evened out schedule. LSU's played the top of the league to start. South Carolina and Vanderbilt, they have not. Like, they have not. Texas A&M played the top of the league to start. They played LSU and Tennessee their first two weeks. When they finally got a shot at you know Ole Miss, who's at the bottom, they won the series. So I just there's still so much to play out in conference play. All right. That's going to wrap us up here today on Musso at the Box. Again, we'll be back tomorrow recapping LSU's matchup with Nichols tonight, and we will begin to look forward to this weekend series. Again, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, LSU at number six, South Carolina, third straight top 10 series for the Tigers, and this one comes on the road. That's all on tomorrow's Musso at the Box. Get subscribed and join me then.